guy. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Happy New Year. Um, we're going to start this with a discussion about the global macroeconomic environment, and that's why we bring Sill in. He's our expert, resident expert that Sounds we have so at WalkerCon. I know, right? <laughs> right? Well, uh, for all of those that are maybe uninitiated, uh, every year we write an investment outlook piece, and it's really not to be predictive. It's more to take a look at some of the trends that are going on, uh, taking a look also at what happened in the past, and then maybe form a little bit of an, uh, I wouldn't call it an opinion, but more of an observation about what we may see in 2024 and beyond. So for a couple of years now, still, you've written really the flagship piece on it, the global mm-hmm. macro piece, as we like sure. to call it. And, uh, you know, there are a bunch of different themes that I think we can dive into today. But first and foremost, how are you feeling overall about 2024? I think I'm feeling pretty good right now, um, at least in the short term. I think, you know, this time of the year is is a good time to reflect a little bit on what we've been through in the last year. And I think it's interesting this year to think about where we were at the exact same time last year in 2023 and what the world looked like. And it was it was an interesting time. And you remember it. I remember it. But back then, you know, the world was kind of ending. <laughs> it was like everybody was talking about recession. It was a, there was a very strong consensus view that, you know, we were entering a recession. And it wasn't even a question of if or even when. It was just how bad is it going to get? Right? Exactly where it was going. Right. And I think it's interesting to reflect on it now, you know, having actually lived through 2023. And look, it, it wasn't so bad. Right. And I think uh, it was part of what we wrote about last year in our 2023 outlook was that there was this risk that investors were way too bearish and that there was too much of a consensus around this idea that, okay, everybody knows what's going to happen. It's just, uh, you know, going all in the same direction and we can just, we should start to make drastic changes to our portfolio as a result of that, right? And I think it's just, it's interesting to take a moment to just reflect on that and see that, you know, no matter how much, noise and scary stories and you know headlines you read sometimes you know there's (laughs) not all of it is worth uh taking action right and i think a big part of what i wrote about last year was the fact that despite all the noise and the scary headlines there were good things happening in the economy and also that if you looked at central bank policy even though yes they were raising rates aggressively if you looked at it in a broader historical context it 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 wasn't that aggressive right simply put if inflation is eight percent and you have five percent interest rates interest rates aren't that high if you think of them as you know from an inflation adjusted perspective right we were I remember the conversation last year about yeah. how it was almost accommodative. It, it was. It was under the inflation rate. Yeah. I mean, if you were to compare it to like the Volcker era, for example, it was extremely accommodative, right? And so I think we went from this starting point of early 23, where it was all about recession and the Fed was being way too aggressive, to where we are now when investors are a bit more constructive. And so... It was kind of like, you know, 
investor sentiments in 2023 it was like a block of ice and it's you know it's been it's been sitting in the sun for a little bit longer now and it's it's starting to melt a little bit it hasn't completely melted it's 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 starting to melt a little bit and that's where we are now i still think there's a lot of negativity um but people are starting to realize that you know the the economy is not in in as bad a shape as we we thought in in 2023 so from that perspective uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I kind of said uh, last year I'd walk into your office and I was a little bit more dour last year than you were and walk into your office and if I ever had to get kind of pumped up about the economy, I could go in and talk to Sonny Sill. Because Sonny Sill. He, uh, was, he was still always kind of a breath of fresh air and you were fairly <sighs> bullish last year when I would talk to you in just in your office, just in passing conversations. You would always say, you know, the phrase, I'm fairly constructive, which is what, you know, somebody that, is in the know, says when they're, they're feeling fairly bullish. I'm fairly constructive about the economy right now. And I, I always was struck by that. Last year, I was um, a lot more skeptical of how this was shaking out. And I, I remain kind of skeptical going into this year. And I, I do think that would be the general consensus amidst financial advisors in general, and look, economists. I, yeah, and I think you're right to be skeptical. And again, I, I, I feel pretty good uh, in the short term, but I still think that, it, look, if anything, I think the chances of recession have actually increased this year compared to when we were last year. So it's like, from my perspective, at the start of last year, everybody was talking about recession. I didn't feel like the chances of recession were that high. Now there's you know less noise about recession, but I, I do think recession chances have actually increased not decreased. So even though I am constructive in the short term because there's a lot of good things happening. Earnings are pretty strong. Unemployment like employment numbers are very strong. very strong. Data came out actually just this morning, surprised on the upside yet again. Um and inflation is coming down. Now I think there are risks and even though I have been bullish throughout the year, you're right, I've been sunny still. Um I am not, I, I'm bullish in the short term, but I have concerns about what's going to happen going forward. I think we're now in this environment where there's this expectation that the Fed is going to start cutting rate in the middle of the year, or maybe even as early as March. And, you know, if you look at market implied uh, probabilities of, of rate cuts, it, it's kind of scary. <laughs> in a way uh, because you know there's there's a there's a non-zero probability based on 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 those metrics that you know the fed would cut rates something like seven times which is completely crazy to me anyway and so to me it's like you know uh, i can't imagine a scenario where the economy remains really strong um and you know, at the same time, you know, the Federal Reserve starts cutting rates as aggressively as, you know, futures market are, are predicting. That so would be a very, um, I would be very surprised if that were to, to occur as well, because that would be a major reversal of policy yes. in the Fed. You'd never, I don't, I can't remember a time where they have done that, where they've aggressively cut rates in a strong economy. No. Right, so to me, it's like one of two things. 
it's going to happen. Either those predictions have, you know, some element of truth, and maybe it's going to go hand in hand with a weakening economy, or there's going to be some real disappointment in terms of, you know, how much the Fed is actually going to cut. And I don't think either scenario is, is, is really good. So I, I am positive in the short term because I think we have a lot of very positive momentum going into the year. I think uh, earnings are still really strong. I think employment numbers are still really strong. And I don't really see a catalyst in the short term for a reversal of this trend. Um, but I may not be Sunny Seal, um, you know, throughout the entire year. And, uh, and, and, and I'm already starting to see reasons to be concerned and actually i think in my my outlook piece ends in you know the the, the, the uh, statement that 2024 could be uh incredibly exciting but also very dangerous and i think it, it, it it's a good summary of my thoughts is i i, I think uh, we are in a very good market environment right now it's kind of this ideal scenario of easier monetary policy uh, falling inflation, continued strength in the economy, uh, continued growth in earnings. And I've even compared it to, you know, um, like different eras of, uh, uh, of you know, when the, when the American economy was really strong. You know, it almost looks like in, in some ways there are, there are hints of what, what markets in the economy were like, you know, in maybe the, the, the the Roaring Twenties, or or you know the, the post-war boom, or the um, the bear the bull markets that we had in the nineties, and it's all very exciting, but I, I also think that you know periods of economic strength like those that we had in the past all had one thing in common: is eventually they ended in some sort of reversal, some sort of recession, and so you know we can't get complacent. Um, and just assume that you know things are just gonna be good forever. That's right, and you know, I think that the main theme that we had of the investment piece we wrote, we call it back to the future, and we hearken back to um, a great series of movies. Um, you know, at least at least the first one was really good, and the other two, it's up for debate. But um, <laughs> you know, we're we're going back to these, some of these eras that we draw from uh, in certain times because. What we were given, and you alluded to it a little in your piece too, um, right after 2008, we were told this is a new normal and it was going to persist. And that was Muhammad El Arian and Bill Gross really coined that phrase of new normal. And we're kind of going back to this era, I believe, of the old normal mm -hmm. is the new normal again. And, you know, we are going to see interest rates are going to be more of a normalized interest rate environment rather than something that's extremely low unless we see a huge surprise to the downside. And, you know, this consistent rate cutting and, you know, mortgages in the sub three range, I think are just gone. And I don't know if we're <laughs> ever going to see that again. And I just remember back when I got my first house in 2005 and my interest rate was, I think I started at like six and a half, maybe six, seven, five. And I refinanced. I was super happy because I got it down to 5.75%. I thought I got a huge yeah. win. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now my mortgage rate is locked in at, I think it's like 3.125 for a 25-year mortgage. It's insane. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And there's millions of Americans just like you. They have, they have mortgages at 3%. 
it means that you're making more on your savings account at your local bank than you're paying on your mortgage. How awesome is that? You're so getting great. paid 5% and you're paying 3% on your mortgage. What more do you want? Unless you're a <laughs> person looking for a new home right now <laughs> and you're feeling right. a little worse, right? But right. Yeah. But uh, but that's part of it, right? I think uh, one feature of the the old normal, the the new normal um as 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 it's been called, which was this area of really this era of really low growth post great financial crisis when it was like interest rates were going to be low forever and it was just, you know, it was just going to be QE infinity and we just kind of had to live with it. It was low growth, low interest rate, low inflation. Uh, one of the issues that we had is that you, you couldn't get returns on your savings, right? And it was, it was unfair to, in particular, to small day-to-day savers, like, you know, not wealthy people, but people who are just trying to save in their, in their bank accounts, right? And they've been punished. Now we are, we are back to this old normal environment where, you know, it, it, it costs a lot to borrow. And, you know, if you save, then you should be rewarded. And, you know, that's kind of the way that the economy was always supposed to work, right? We were never going to, we were never supposed to have free money for everyone, right? And, and I think, you know, it, it's a positive thing to actually be going back to a more normal environment. And, you know, this is the case that I, this is the point that I make in my piece is, look, I mean, if I told you that, that, you know, five years ago that the uh, real, real interest rates that, no, real growth would be 5%, the interest rates would be four and a half, uh, and that we'd have 3% un- unemployment, you would have said, you know, great, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, but it's like, this pro- is a boom time. This is boom time. Exactly. And you, you probably would have said, well, this is not really realistic because, you know, we're in this, in this new normal, right? Uh, but yet this is, this is what we have. So, you know, it's kind of, why are we complaining so much? <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote that in my piece, uh, kind of about, all right, some of these economic indicators have gotten a little worse, but only a little bit. And oftentimes, uh, when we look at, say, retail sales, okay, they've perked up. They went down a little bit, and they perked back up. And the manufacturing um, hires went down a little bit, but it's not too bad. And right. so we're all feeling this crisis of confidence, I think. When you look at the the consumer confidence numbers, they're actually quite weak. And then you look at all the economic data, and it doesn't match up. So, right. you know, that's meaning, it's, you know, who's right and who's wrong there? I'm not sure. I, I do believe that there is a hangover effect from pricing. Everyone's seen everything get more expensive. You just go out to lunch, and you see it right there in your face. Right. There is no, you know, $8 lunch anymore. It doesn't exist. You know, I think I spent $15 at Chipotle <laughs> the other day and I was like, holy cow. Like, it's pretty insane. You always get the guac, though. I do, I do yeah. you know, a little extra protein yeah. there. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those situations where I, I do believe that uh, people are feeling that and, and I think that that does have uh, a negative consequence for consumer confidence. But you look at their net worth and their net worth probably has never been higher either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some things that I think you just got to look underneath the surface and appreciate some of the things that have happened. Um, and we've never had a COVID, um, you know, in most of our lifetimes. 
know, there have been other pandemics, obviously, mm-hmm. but how we handle that is definitely a new situation. And, and I think we saw the ramifications from that. And I also have said in the past, too, that the Fed has never had this much access to data as quickly as possible as they ever have now. And so when they're trying to engineer the soft landing, and I always joke, like, this will be the first time they ever engineer a soft landing, you know, and I kind of roll my eyes every time when I think about <laughs> whether or not this is doable. But maybe the data that they have is allowing them to be more nimble. And they've been, one thing that I've always said after Greenspan, Greenspan kind of started, the Fed has been really intentional in their language. And what they say they do, they have done. And you know, yes, we all parse the words and the statements they make, but they have been extremely intentional from Greenspan all the way down uh, to Powell now. Yeah, I think the transparency and the guidance really helps. Um, you know, I, I do think a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of the positive developments in the economy, I, I don't think that the Fed can take credit for it. No. You know, I, I'd like to give the credit to, you know, workers and businesses. Uh, that you know, I've just and done a great job, and you know, innovation is 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 really helping. Um, and you know, the the monetary policy has allowed all of that to happen. Um, or it hasn't know, screwed it up. It hasn't right? screwed it up. Like but uh, and it, that's right? and that's kind of my issue with you know the environment as a whole is we're still in this environment where we're relying on central bank policies way too much. And even though I've been pretty positive in this podcast and, and I've been bullish throughout the year, um, we're still not in a normal environment, even though s- you know, interest rates have been normalized and the economy is looking strong right now. If you look at metrics like the size of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, it's still incredibly inflated. Uh, we're still in this environment where you know they've responded to the collapse of, uh, of uh, SVB last year with a bunch of temporary liquidity measures. And even though the trend in the U.S. is that they intend to tighten policy and shrink the size of their balance sheet, if you look at it on a global level, and if you look at things like what the uh, People's Bank of China is doing or the Japanese Central Bank, they're moving in the other direction and they're actually expanding their balance sheet. So if you look in aggregate, we're still in this environment where global central bank policies are are a risk because they continue to inject liquidity. And and I think that's one of the key risks that investors are facing right now is is you know that we are we are inflating asset prices because of central bank policies and that's dangerous because that could be reversed quickly, that could lead to asset bubbles. And, you know, I, I think investor sentiments that have been fairly you know, negative and bearish actually have done a good job at keeping valuations in check. Um, but going forward, I think that's, that's a real risk. Uh, and I think we're already seeing pockets of, you know, of, you know kind of <laughs> maybe uh, excessive enthusiasm, uh, uh, you know, from investors in some pockets of the market, some areas of the market. Um, I still think there are other assets that are cheap and really attractive. So that makes me feel fairly constructive on the market as a whole. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to be uh, very mindful of, um, of you know, what's going to happen here in the coming months. 
Yeah, I mean, what happened last year, it was kind of harkens me back to when the internet age first started. And if you had a dot com after your name, your stock valuation went up, uh, you know, tenfold just because right. just because you had that in your name. Mm-hmm. And now if you're tied to AI at all, it, know, exactly. Deal. So AI is kind of, yeah, it, you can justify any valuation using AI. Uh, and that's and, you know, I, I, that's a risk going forward. Right. It, then you we all we've seen market bubbles um, and it starts with some sort of story. That sounds great and can you know, justify anything. And uh, obviously, the the internet bubble of the late '90s was an extreme case. Um, the good thing now is that you know, unlike the '90s, the companies that are trading at really high valuations right now are actually making money. They actually have sales. They're you know, they're very successful businesses. They're large caps. Yeah, they're large it's caps. Different, right? Um, so from that perspective, it, it is fundamentally different. But again, it, it doesn't mean that valuations can't get um, you know completely out of whack with re- reality. And if you, you know, if you compare the size of these um, tech mega cap relative to like the GDP, for example, if you look at that chart at that metric, <coughs> it's a little scary. Right, if you like compare the size of those large uh, mega cap tech companies now relative to GDP, it doesn't look sustainable. So, you know, that's a risk that investors need to be uh, very, very mindful of. Um, but again, short term momentum. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff happening, and I could absolutely see this trend continuing, especially with you know the whole AI narrative as it takes hold. Um, and and if it's backed by continued earnings growth, um, I think this rally probably has legs. So if we look at kind of sectors and asset classes overall, what are your thoughts really on, you know, one issue that I have right now with the S&P 500 is that it is so overweight. In fact, you're almost owning a quasi-tech sector fund if you look at it. The concentration is so great in the S&P 500 in in technology, you know, how do you defense against that without making some outsized bet or really reworking your portfolio where it might be problematic for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's tricky, and you're right. I mean, if you look at the sector breakdown of, of the S&P 500 right now, it's really dominated by, you really own growth and you own technology and communication services. Um, and it's, you're... <laughs> You're probably not getting as much diversification as as you would think. You're not getting as much uh, in the way of you know boring dividend-paying stocks. You're not getting a lot of stocks that are trading at cheaper valuations. And you know there are sector. I think there are ways to um, you know diversify away from that. It might require going a little bit deeper than just buying the index. And, uh, you know, look at things like sector-specific funds. Look at things like international diversification as well. That could be a way of naturally shifting some of your capital away from the, the, the sort of hot sectors and into things that are cheaper and, you know, not as trendy right now. Um, and I, you know, I think it's part of the work that we're, we're trying to do uh, with our portfolio 
looking at the index and saying, okay, you know, what do I actually own? Is there a need to uh, take steps to diversify further? And, and I think that's something we always need to be aware of because the way indices work is the, you're, you're basically following a trend. If a market cap grows, then that becomes an increasingly large part of, of your portfolio. And it, it can happen with the S&P 500. Um, you know, it, it also happens with things like emerging market funds. You know, at some point, people realize, oh, I own these emerging market funds, and it's 40% China. <laughs> it's kind of like you. Uh, I, I think it's something that you need to be uh, to be very aware of, and I, th- I think there are ways um, to um, um, mitigate against that concentration risk. But it might require that you do a little bit more than just buy the index. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I tend to think that some of the dull, boring, and consistent companies, you know, might kind of see that um, day in the sun again this year. I mean, the breadth of the rally kind of began late in the year. It was it was a very thin rally. You know, everyone's called like the Magnificent Seven or the Grade Eight stocks, and they were contributing to a large percentage of the rate of return in the S&P 500 and just in the overall stock market. And, you know, then kind of November, December happened, and it yeah. kind of righted the ship a little bit. We saw international funds do well. We also saw that it became a broader rally. And so I think that that's where you're starting to see that Consumer sentiment also kind of turned a little bit at that time, too. Things were ticking up. Retail sales were ticking up. You could see that there was some momentum coming to this year. Um, so we all should probably be extremely bearish as well going into the year because Jim Cramer just announced that he's <laughs> very <laughs> bullish. And Jeremy Siegel came out, too, very bullish for this year. So uh, we should be a little careful uh, about what we believe going forward. But uh, I say that all tongue-in-cheek, but it, it does seem like more people are coming out as bullish as going into this year. So that automatically makes me a little bit skeptical. But overall, uh, I, I tend to agree with you. And I, I do think that, you know, last year, asset allocation didn't really work, you know? Yeah. And this year, I, I tend to think that we'll probably see, you know, whether the market trends down or up, I, I do believe that asset allocation will be a um, constructive thing for your portfolio this year rather than riding those seven or eight stocks again or riding just an S&P 500 company. I really believe that we need that diversification in our portfolio. The sun is going to shine on other places this year, and hopefully it's more positive than negative. But even if it's negative, you know, you do need that diversification in your portfolio. And bonds are sexy again. I you know, like yeah, you're getting I some yield. I agree. And it's been it's been a difficult couple of years for investors, also in part because, you know, you're supposed to hold bonds for, for diversification, and it's supposed to be something that, that does well when the market sells off. And, you know, obviously we had all-time highs at the very end of 2021, beginning of 2022. And, and ever since, the market has generally generally been down and bonds have just been terrible, right? Uh, and that's usually when you start hearing things like, oh, bonds are dead or, you know, they don't belong in your portfolio or whatever. Or the, the 60-40 is dead. You, you should no longer allocate to bonds. And I, I, I don't really agree with that. I, I still think that there, uh, there are very uh, valid reasons why you would want to own bonds. We've just not, you know, it, it's just not going to work all the time, and we've just not been in, in, in the right type of environment. Um, but I, 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 I do think that bonds are, are back, as you said. Um, we've gone through uh, a decade when interest rates were, you know, buying the 10-year treasury at 1.5%, uh, 
um, you know, now you're looking at it and it's, it's over 4%. And I think it's, it starts to make sense again. And it's, it's kind of a, uh, an easier sale. So I, I actually like that going forward. I think there's an opportunity certainly to look at bonds and, 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 and reassess, you know, how they fit within your portfolio. And again, everybody's going to hate bonds and then, you know, there might still be, um, you know, what environments when you'll be glad to own bonds, right? I mean, we've lived through 2008. Um, bonds were the only thing that was working and not just bonds, but the most boring, safest bonds that you could own, U.S. treasuries. And, you know, hopefully we'll never see a 2008 again in our lifetime. Uh, am I willing to, to bet on that? Oh, we'll see it again. <laughs> we'll see it again, and we'll just have a different name. And all of history yeah. just likes to <laughs> rhyme, right? Exactly. You know, it's all the unforeseen. Um, and I, I just read a book that uh, they had a great quote in there. They just talked about the stock market and how every company is just basically a good story away from a higher stock price. And conversely, a bad story. It's about how good companies can tell their story. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, um, that can be the catalyst and right now the story is AI yeah story is uh, continued growth and we'll see whether that continues to persist um, you know hopefully we don't end up in Skynet and we have to all watch maybe the theme next year will be Terminator 2 but <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> um, you know but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see some guardrails around AI I think at some point here coming soon and uh, you know we've got a lot of interesting things going on right now and it, I think the one constant that we have in the markets is that it always seems a little bit unsettled and it always seems you, know, you never feel like mm -hmm. you're in a big bull market when you're in the bull market um, and you see the skepticism and I think all that's healthy though. I agree. I mean the picture should always be you know mixed and complicated and, and confusing. I mean that's that's the way it should be and we have discussions with investors who you know, find reasons not to be in the market or to keep more cash. And look, you shouldn't feel good about investing. That's the reality, right? I mean, and if you ever invest and you're like, oh, I feel so great about it, nothing could go wrong, is you, you may not be you may not be buying at the best time. That that's usually when people buy and you know they 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 buy the peak of the the absolute bubble when nothing can go wrong, right? So, uh, you know looking at the environment there should always be positives and negatives and areas that uh, you're concerned about and it's all that's what makes a market right so uh, it's all it's all part of it and um, that's the way it will always feel hopefully I think that's a great way to say that well um, going forward I would say hey dive into our investment outlook um, we will have it on PDF we have a bunch of links on it as well where you can go and really explore as much as you want and basically what we try to do as um, a company is that everyone wrote an article and had their own view so not every view will be the same we don't um, you know we don't mandate that anyone come up with any ideas so you might see some divergent opinions there uh, you'll see everyone writing kind of along the theme of back to the future um, which is kind of a fun thing we tried to do this year and you'll let us know your feedback and um, we'll we'll be recording more uh, podcasts as we go along. As far as each topic goes, we'll split them up into blog posts as well, and you know, write and reflect more as the year goes on on the writings. But if you read one piece from us, please uh, take a moment to read 
our investment outlook piece. Special thanks to Samuel for putting it together. He's put together some great graphics that we're really excited about. And if you have any uh, comments or questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. And we look forward to serving you and getting to know you a little better over more episodes of Give Me Some Truth. Walker Condon Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walker Condon Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Viewers are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. That's the masses decide.